Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome back to the Coming of Cage podcast. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2024. I am Derek and I have your other host, Ryan, right here with me. Indeed you do. Indeed. And we are here to talk Nicolas Cage movies in particular the 1988 classic vampires kiss yes yeah a big one for us uh both of our first viewings of this movie but if you know anything about nicholas cage then you know that this movie is kind of the i don't know if i want to say the pinnacle but it's definitely like the movie that people know him from without knowing what it is because one of his like most popular meme faces uh is from this movie um so yeah i mean you've probably seen the meme if you even if you don't know what the movie is but yeah this is this is the one that people really bring up when they're talking about what nick cage means to them i think that's right that's right. And the, the IMDb synopsis does not do this movie justice. According to IMDb, this movie is about a man who, quote, after an encounter with a neck biter, a publishing executive thinks that he's turning into a vampire. And just it's- to, like, preface this, uh, you know, what I'm saying that people are saying this movie is what, like, they idolize Cage for. I mean, this movie is batshit 
crazy. <laughs> I, calling it a movie seems generous to me because it mostly just seems like a bunch of improvised Nick Cage scenes of the same character that they put together with something that might resemble a plot. Uh, I mean, barely. And I I'm not trying to trash this movie because I genuinely enjoyed watching every single second of this movie, <laughs> but it is <laughs> nuts. And whatever you've heard about this movie, if you haven't seen it, I mean, that whatever you heard and whatever we're telling you, it, it will not prepare you for the actual viewing experience of this movie. It has forever changed my perspective on movies and what what they what movie executives will pay to make and what Nick Cage as an actor is capable of. Because I, I definitely think that this movie is like probably the most batshit crazy nick cage we're, we're ever gonna see and we you know we don't say that lightly because derek has rated a movie a one before and i said derek we're only like 20 movies in you probably want to you know leave the one because there's probably gonna be worse and you were like no there can't possibly be worse and then sure as shit we found some that were worse and this movie i'm gonna just like say now i'm pretty sure for both of us it's gonna be a 20 on the cage o meter <laughs> <laughs> on caginess caginess on yeah. caginess yeah i mean and and spoilers though this is not going to be my lowest rated nicholas Cage. no <laughs> i wouldn't imagine it would be i you know, so i can imagine a bunch of movies that you would i wasn't saying this is this is a one. Oh, okay. i was I'm saying sorry. i was saying that we don't give out like the extreme end of scores lightly anymore having right being 40 We've learned our lesson in. yeah yeah that's true yes no, i think that's fair uh, <laughs> um, I mean, a few this things might to be note. a long episode too because I have a lot of notes and there's a lot of things to talk about in this movie. Okay, well then, good. Then let's let so let's let's kick things off then. So for those who are just joining us for the first time, welcome. Thank you for checking us out. What an episode to begin with. And if this is your 41st episode listening to us, thank you for joining us for all these Nicolas Cage movies. Ryan here takes meticulous notes as he watches these movies. I snack on popcorn and goldfish. And then we go through Ryan's notes. So Ryan, Indeed. please kick us off. I do want to throw out a, a trigger warning. There is ah. very briefly some things that we'll probably touch on that, uh, you know, are not great uh, sexual assault related. So if that kind of thing is not great for you, you may want to not, listen to this episode even though we're gonna probably we'll talk about it but hopefully not in extreme detail or anything like that yeah um anyway yes so uh <laughs> my notes yeah occasionally will be incomprehensible in the sense that like i write a note that makes sense in the moment and then we try and decipher it and figure out what exactly that thing was i speak uh, ryan and there's well. there's a lot of moments in this movie where it's like i don't know if my note will do justice to what the scene was but uh, we're going to start. Okay. My first note is cityscapes because we get like six straight minutes of just like shots of the city. Yeah. I mean, they really want you to know that this is in New York. And it's not like uh, <laughs> it's that's not just isolated to the beginning of the movie. No, that's throughout the movie. Um, 
we see a lot of city and there is a, I do have pulled up a, a there. They did do a commentary of this movie, which I don't think is super common for Nick Cage to do commentaries for his movies. Maybe, maybe it is. I haven't looked into it as much, but he did in 1999 do a commentary for this movie uh, with the director. And in, in that commentary, he did say something along the lines of uh, that the city was kind of like its own character in the movie and it was driving him, driving the main character crazy. And so throughout the movie, like as the city starts really blurry in the early movie and then it gets sharper and more in focus throughout the movie, which seems like a message that I would have never taken away from this movie. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't get that. Uh, now, now to be fair, he does claim that a lot was cut from this movie. Some some of his best work was cut from this movie. So maybe that would have come through when we get the Nick Cage cut of Vampire's Kiss in a few years. That probably won't happen if it hasn't come out yet, sadly. But <laughs> I mean, it just got released on Blu-ray last year. So this is where it's going to see like a resurgence. Yeah. So apparently, according to the director, he said that... Uh... The idea of the city driving Luke Low, how do you say his last name? Low. 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 Crazy through its omnipresence, and he accomplished this by constantly featuring the buildings of NYC in frame. Early on, for example, he sits in the doctor's office of the city in soft focus behind him, but later as he grows more insane, the city becomes clearer into view. He wanted to extend the movie beyond just a one-dimensional plane, which sounds like he was on a lot of cocaine and didn't quite understand the things he was saying, but... So, yeah, I mean, I, I will say, so I watched it on, on the Blu-ray. Uh, it wasn't like the sharpest transfer I've ever seen. And there were definitely some technical issues with the, the Blu-ray cut. Um, so maybe if I had like a fully restored 4K release, I might have noticed those types of background changes. But I definitely missed all of that. Yeah, it didn't really... Yeah, I, I don't really, I saw a little bit of that, but I, I didn't take it as what the director is implying it to be there. Fair enough. Um, yeah, so we get a shot, our first like introduction to Nick Cage is that he's in therapy. His character is in therapy. Um, what's his character's name again? Peter? Peter. Peter, Peter Lowe. Lowe. Yeah, uh, Peter is in therapy, and which is good because he is insane. Um, yeah. Pretty, even in the beginning of the movie, he's insane, but... It, he dives deeper into insanity throughout the movie. Uh, but yeah, even just in the beginning, he's insane. But he's in therapy for it, so that's good. Uh, but yeah, we get to hear the beginning of his weird accent. What a uh, weird accent. For this movie. So do you know the story behind the accent? I don't know that I necessarily know the story behind it. I did notice that it was not quite consistent. That's on purpose. Okay. Yeah. Uh, allegedly the you know in a lot of the scenes where he's hallucinating or not hallucinating he was differentiating that he was like trying apparently nick cage was doing that on purpose to try and make a difference between when he was hallucinating and when he wasn't i don't know how consistent that part is but that's the explanation for it but anyway the actual accent his source or like for the accent was he kind of based it on his dad apparently and he said that it's kind of supposed to be like what he imagines a literary accent to be like if you're an in, like an intellectual type of accent um, okay right yeah i could again, see that it's a little bit of a stretch but uh you know i could definitely see where he was going with it for sure um 
yeah, my next note is 80s dance club. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, that's where it opens us right up into a, a bar scene, people dancing, music going, drinks swinging, you know, all, all around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where he picks up the first girl he picks up in the movie. Yes. Which, I mean... Jackie, I, I think. Yeah. This is, it's crazy in this movie. He is getting so laid constantly. Every woman, I, I will say this movie is very misogynistic. Deeply. Um, yeah. It, it's like almost almost enough to be a theme of the movie as, of, as misogyny. And a lot of that stems from, you know, just the amount of women that want to bang Peter. Yeah. And he's got money. It's kind of implied in this movie. He's got a nice apartment and this is in New York, right? So uh, he's he's making money. He He's working for a company that is just like agents for short stories, I guess. It's, it's, it's publishing. They, they publish. People. Right, which apparently it's... in the 80s was a lot of money, big money in that. Um, well, I mean, there's still there's just not as many publishers left anymore, right? But they were just they were a publishing house. Yeah, he has really nice suits all the time. He has mm-hmm. like his own assistant. He's you know he's got a really nice apartment, and so you know it's implied that he has money, and maybe that's the message is that women um, want money. I don't know. Like I, I guess I, we'd have to know more about what part of New York he lives in because that's like a studio apartment. Okay, it's a it's a nice apartment just, for just New saying. York. I, I mean, I think in 1988 money, he's doing pretty well for himself. Um, although there is a part later that he, where he appears to be broke, even though he seems pretty wealthy for the rest of the movie. Um, in my what, opinion, apparently, what, Derek what, had when was he broke? What, I'm missing that when he buys the the, the vampire fangs. Oh, right. Well, I think that's just because he shelled out cash for the cab. And he right. Didn't he didn't have enough cash and doesn't have any plastic. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, he goes to this club and he finds this girl and they go home and they see he has. A, OK, so there's a scene when he's like walking through the streets with her when they're going on the way to the house or the way to his, to his apartment. Yeah. And you, it's really hard to hear the dialogue in the scene. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. Oh yes, it was terrible. At this point, I had to turn. Did you turn the top? So, okay, so did you get the dialogue in the scene then? Uh, some of it. He's talking to her about uh, non-copyright versions of the Fantastic Four, basically. Oh, I missed all of that part. He's then. describing like a mis- a rubber man and like a rock guy, and, and I guess uh, I was too late to turn that on then. Okay. Yeah, it's very weird. But then also, as far as like the behind the scenes of this movie, the reason that that was so hard to hear was because they were they had a they were a non-union shoot mm-hmm. and they had just right off camera a bunch of people protesting. Yeah. Uh, and the cops were there arresting them like at the time. That's the only way they could get, get it to be quiet. So they were trying to fight a lot of ambient noise there. And that's actually not that specifically, but a lot of this movie was filmed with people that didn't really know they were in the movie, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you can so, kind of get that from some of the reactions of people that he walks funny. by later on. But there's a lot of times when he's doing something outrageous and there's no reaction, which is <laughs> hilariously New York to me. Is, I, yeah. I've never even been to New York, but I know, from what I know about New York, that's that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. Yeah. People kind of just ignore people. Yeah. Yeah. So he takes the girl home and to his home and they're kind of going at it. Um, by the way, we did, since we have the weird accent, that is a, a space on our bingo card. So we got to hit that. Yeah. 
Um, and then we get some nudity, so which is another bingo spot for us. So we get that. Um, and so well, they're they're doing their deed, and a bat flies in. <laughs> And we get like a, a a few seconds of bat cam where the cam is like following the POV of the bat, That's which great. is a really bad. I don't want to say really bad because somebody put a lot of work into it, but like it doesn't move naturally. It's a rubber bat. It, yeah, it looks like yeah. somebody got a rubber bat almost like at a party store. It was just like shaking it up and down to make the wings flap. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want a fun fact about that? Oh, please give me the fun fact about the that. The fun fact is that uh, Nick Cage was very much method in this movie. Yeah. And he demanded a real bat be used oh. in this scene. And so he actually, at one point, apparently, this was in the commentary, sent his assistant to go find a bat in Central Park for him. And they didn't do it. Find a wild bat. Go yes, catch me a bat. Go catch him a bat. He was crazy about this, apparently. Wow. And um, and they didn't. The director talked him out of it because he said that the bat would bite him for real and he'd get rabies and die. And then Nick Cage gave up on it, apparently. Well, I mean, coming full circle and pig, he got bit by the pig and like he thought that's like that could have turned into like sepsis or something. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's just kind of wild. Like they were going to go catch a wild bat, not even like find a bat like can you imagine know, being you that assistant that, but... and like going home going home that night and your <laughs> the wife is like hey what did you do at work today and you're like well nicholas cage sent me to central park to try and capture a live bat so that he could do a real method performance <laughs> and that was it that was my day i mean look some assistants have to go get coffee others <laughs> if you're if you're nick cage's assistant apparently you <laughs> go get bats he he did say in this commentary that he was a little off his rocker in this movie which is kind of crazy to me because it's a pretty early movie for him 88 wasn't like uh wasn't he wasn't i feel like most actors wouldn't get the freedom to do what he was experimenting with in this movie until they were well established and he, his biggest film at this point had been moonstruck which he was just coming off of but when you look at the director and the writer, like he was established by comparison. I mean, yes, but right? it, it, so I think, for a studio to put up money for this movie with that going on, I mean, it's, well, I mean, that's why it was non-union, I would imagine. Probably. Because nobody really wanted to shell out the money for this. I mean, like he tra- like when he trashes the apartment and like he's breaking the lamps and all the glass and stuff like that, like that was all real. They had to do it in one take. They broke a camera in the process. Like, there's even more that we'll get into, right? But this movie is pretty bonkers. Um, also, like, do you know what this movie was about? Like, what was the real plot of this movie? I, I mean, I think so. I think I think the plot of the movie is that he has like a traumatic break when the bat comes in. And he has that a mental breakdown where he thinks he is turning into a vampire and he begins hallucinating this woman, Rachel, um, who he meets very briefly, but then continues to hallucinate is a real vampire. Right. And he just goes mad. So you think this is a movie about his slow descent into Mm -hmm. uh, mental poor mental health, essentially? Yeah. And I mean, it could have been caused by the job stress. 
it could have been caused by loneliness and maybe that's why he keeps going after different women because he's really very alone and he doesn't know how to make a connection it could, like because he has no friends you he don't think that us. maybe he got bit by the bat when it came in and this is the rabies slowly taking over his body i mean maybe but the movie never shows the bat really get anywhere near him no but i mean it doesn't show him not get bit either i mean he's wearing a band-aid for most of the movie but we watch we see him get cut himself with the razor he doesn't wear the band-aid till after that but also yeah that's true but i mean he, he, <laughs> he, you still don't know if he got i'm saying there's a lot of theories about this movie and what sure. it what the plot actually is and it's funny because in the commentary they did nick cage says he likes that it's ambiguous and people can pick up their own thing um from it but the director says he had no idea what it was about now see that's a problem what are you doing <laughs> directing a movie that you don't understand you have the writer don't you can't you ask the writer hey what did you mean by this i mean how do you put together a film if you don't understand it like it's one thing if i don't understand it as a viewer it's another thing that the people making it don't understand it right um right but i mean to, to me though like i'm not saying it's impossible that like it's a you know rabies induced you know hallucinogenic trip as he's dying but or do you think he's actually a vampire by the end <laughs> no some people actually think that no uh, there is you're nothing not, you're that not happens, one of those people there's nothing that happens in the movie that makes me think he's a vampire well Every, you know what this you know what the what the evidence is for the people please tell that, me believe that please the and very end scene yeah but that would kill you and me too no 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 the scene after that the scene after that with the vampire woman coming back and telling him to dance for her jennifer beals literally the scene that's dead space so that's good but we'll, <laughs> there's a scene after the end of the movie we'll get to, we'll get to it it's fine. Okay. we're not gonna get into it now anyway right. so yeah this bat flies into his apartment and he's literally like <laughs> shoot Shoo, shoo, and it's like what man i mean, I don't think bats speak english so this is tough well but... the woman so so jack jackie is is the character she she freaks out and basically runs out of the apartment and she's only wearing underwear yeah she's... and there's a little kid creeping on her from the yeah. stair rail that i thought would come back later in the movie because they put a lot of emphasis on it and then he's never in it again nope his mom took him away yeah so the him and uh he leaves the apartment with the bat still in there and there is the we see them like running through the streets like she, she gets dressed and he's kind of dressed and i assume they're going over to her apartment or something um but he's they're laughing right and he does the most like weird fake sounding laugh yeah it's, it's just basically everything he does in this movie is completely batshit crazy over the top insane no human would act this way including the way he's laughing mm -hmm. it's just like a very distinct ha 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 that's way overboard for what is actually happening well it her, all it all feels forced right like this this is this person is putting on a character right right like we never get to know the actual peter right right and that's uh, so christian bale in american psycho based his character off of peter lowe and what's from funny like, is a lot of people think that that Nick Cage stole this from Christian Bale from his portrayal in American Psycho, but American Psycho came out way after this. Way almost like a decade after. But the I think the book was out 
before this movie, maybe. I mean, but, that may be. But the performance, yeah. I, I mean, is what this is what they're comparing, I think. Right. No, there's, there, yeah, I, I think what was American Psycho was 99, I think. Yeah. Something like that. It was definitely late 90s. Yeah. But so, yeah, he shows up to work the next day with no socks on, which they put some emphasis on, but I don't really understand why. I th- I think it was just supposed to show that like he didn't go back home. And then he weirdly stares at Alva's calves or like feet when she comes in. Yeah, I noticed that. It's the only time a shot like that happens and I I didn't really get it. Yeah, I didn't either. Okay. Um so yeah, he he's he's at work and we kind of get introduced to Alva who is I don't know if she's just an assistant for the company that he just loves to abuse um but or if she's his assistant specifically but he no. is tasking her with finding this contract he has right. this guy that wrote he, he represents that is a short that wrote a short story and has gotten popular since then but he wants a copy of his first contract to frame for his wall essentially and hit the whole file for this guy, it was the 80s. They didn't have digital, really any kind of digital uh, organizing methods, at least not at this publisher. So um, they have all these things in hard files. And apparently these files are not organized in any way. And he has a ton of files. So she's got a huge amount of paperwork to try and go through. And he says he needs it ASAP, like as soon as possible. Right. Yeah, no. So, so she she works just like for the the publishing firm, right? And it, we learn this later, right? She's also the newest person, so he's kind of just like dumping on the person with the least amount of tenure. Yeah. That's so really then we, we get a scene with his therapist again, mm-hmm. Doctor Glazer, Glazer. Which she it, it's ever it's interesting to me because almost every character in this movie I want to know more about. <laughs> and she's one of them because we get a random scene later that has no significance of her like getting ready to make love to this younger man or maybe possibly just having made love to this younger man. Ha cha 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 cha. It's it's very like and it doesn't have any place in the movie. It's just a really weird <laughs> thing. Like why did we need to know that? I'm I'm assuming <laughs> some of this stuff has more to do with like some of the deleted scenes perhaps, but Right. I I, th- I think so, but but he talks about this date with this woman and bringing her back to his apartment. And he talks about the bat and mm-hmm. he brings up to his therapist that he was aroused by the bat. <laughs> like meaning yeah. like he has an erection while he's fighting this bat. Yes. And she says something like, well, weren't you just getting ready to bang this chick? And he was like, <laughs> well, yeah. And she's like, oh, don't worry about it. Then it's probably just because of that. It's left over from that. And he's like, no, I was like actively aroused while fighting this bat. Well, because he's like, well, I was doing I was doing that stuff. And then that stopped. Yeah. And then this new feeling. I, that, that was the first moment what? where I was like, this therapist is not like, I feel like this is not, she's not qualified or something. Because I don't think a therapist is going to be like, oh, you were just, we're just doing this girl. So don't worry about this arousing bat. Like you would want to dive into why you were aroused by the bat. Because he definitely thought he was aroused by the bat and not like left over from the girl. So, oh, yeah. I would yeah, think no. the therapist would try and dive into that more, but instead they just <laughs> like were like, oh, no, no big deal, dude. Just, you know, you just had a boner from the sex. It's fine. Well, I think that ties into the end of the movie. Yeah. I right. Agree. I think that's, that's part of it. And he, act- I'm pretty sure he actually says the words Mortal Kombat with the bat. 
He does. <laughs> Which I found hilarious. In yeah, he was locked the, in Mortal the, Kombat. The game was not a thing. You know, it, it's just a funny phrase to hear from a movie that old for me. I mean, I'm sure it was a saying. Yeah. But, um, not a common one. Spelled with a C, you know. <laughs> right, but... no K. Um, so at this point, I've started to realize that mirrors were really important in this movie. Mm-hmm. Because he has several in his apartment. And a lot of the shots were kind of like hanging on the mirrors yeah when he walked by them and he was always looking into them and uh you know this got to be more important later in the movie but yeah it was he had a weird amount of mirrors in his apartment like more than a normal person needs it's funny that you picked up on that i thought he had too many chairs i mean yeah i mean you gotta have places to sit that's the thing but you don't need to constantly be looking at yourself some people do, I guess. I mean, I think he does. Yeah, but that, but the mirrors are part of it, right? Because you know, later in the movie, he starts thinking he can't see himself in the mirror, but we can see him in the mirror, right? Right. So I think he's just, you know, going insane. So I feel like maybe I missed a little bit in here, but my next okay. note is vampire girl, more Nick Cage sex. <laughs> so oh, yeah, at right. some point in here, Jennifer Beals shows up, and we don't really get like he runs into her at the club, I think, and then immediately they're in his apartment there's like no in between anything um characters i'm trying to think yeah i don't think there is any real context given there's the art gallery scene but that that came after is that after okay yeah he leaves to go see her again right but yeah so they just they meet at the club and then immediately they're in in like having sex in his apartment but they don't really have i mean maybe they do really have sex but all uh she is like biting him that's the thing is she ends up biting him on the neck and he's basically orgasming the whole time she's biting i don't think she's really there probably not i mean that seems like at a certain point in the movie it's an unreliable narrator situation and you kind of get that vibe but uh yeah did you notice the weird pasties that she wore i did yeah they were very obvious they probably weren't when the movie came out but on blu-ray and stuff it was more obvious for sure it it does make me wonder because the girl that he's with before that you see nip there's nips you know nips all over the place and then must have just been a contractual thing it is it probably was because i guess she was uh she was not the original person for that role there was another actor that they didn't actress that they didn't name who uh was supposed to be that role but they pulled out at the last minute because the person's boyfriend did not want her rolling around with Nick Cage. Mm. So yeah, that <laughs> that's a thing. But so <laughs> she was brought in late in the game, and that was probably like the one way they could get her to do this was, you know, she doesn't want to show her breasts on camera, which was fine. It was just a weird decision, you know, in the context of the movie, because we're watching a movie, we're watching the story unfold, we're not watching like the behind the scenes and the contracts. So in the sense of the movie, it was a little weird. Yeah, I, I think it just it would have been less distracting if she, they, she had just like kept her bra on or whatever. Yeah, that's right. probably I, true. Because I never would have given that a second glance, right? But this was just very, at least on the Blu-ray, very obvious. I think that would have been noticeable regardless, but... Probably. Yeah. Very weird. Uh, but I, I personally, based on the interaction the two of them have later, I don't think she went home with him in the real world. Probably not. 
um apparently the director had a nightmare about telling cage about the casting change <laughs> and that he stuck two needles into the director's eyes in the nightmare wow <laughs> yeah he was apparently really scared of nick cage i'm assuming scared yeah. scared of your lead actor don't understand the movie you're making yeah like, I, that is concerning it was weird um yeah so we got a singing my next one is singing nick cage to no one like he was just singing uh-huh by himself which you know I guess people do that. I don't know. Yeah, he's, he's, it, he's it was sings, a little weird. Yeah, it's fine. He's trying to be happy, right? He's feeling good. This is supposed to be like the the top before his downfall, you know? Yeah. Apparently, the song that he was singing was not in the public domain, and so the production almost got sued for him singing that song, and right. ended up paying a large sum of money by the end of it. And apparently, it was because he sang it so well, so they couldn't fake that he was singing something else oh yeah geez that's um, funny so, yeah then we get the art gallery and uh we he basically at the art he has a date at this art gallery with the girl that was from the first jackie date, jackie where he ran in they ran into the bat right uh and so he shows up to this art gallery and they're like they're looking at art for approximately eight seconds <laughs> and he says i've got to go to the bathroom and so he he goes to the bathroom while well, he goes to go to the bathroom. Also, her hat in the scene was really interesting to me. It was like it had no top. I don't know. I know you're a hat guy, so I don't know if you were paying attention to this. <laughs> no, it was kind of like a visor that went all the way around. Right. It just like covered the circumference of her head. Yeah. And like her it, hair stuck out the it top. Must have been a women's style. In the it, maybe it is. Yeah. I don't know, but I thought it was cool. Anyway. Yeah. Because well, um, she has nice hair. So it's just kind of a cool sure. like, accessory rather than. You know. Yeah. I wish I could see more unique hats like that in the real world. I'll see um, if I can pick some up. Yeah, you should. I think you're, you have a beautiful head. So I think a hat like that would do very well for you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, so he leaves. Instead of going to the bathroom, he just straight up leaves. He ditches her. He ditches her to go have sex with this vampire chick again. Right. Which is not sex so much as it is just her biting him and him orgasming during the whole thing. And I'm just kind of filling in the blanks with the orgasming. They don't, like, make it explicit that he's, you know, no. doing that. But he does make faces like he is. So it's just kind of assumed. Is it is it in vampire lore that if a vampire were to bite the same person more than once, they would just do it in literally the exact same spot so there's no extra holes in the neck? So there's a lot of things in this movie that I question about the lore of vampires. Okay. And I think, if I'm guessing, <laughs> I'm guessing that the director didn't want to tell Nick Cage no. So he just kind of did these things and thinking they were vampire lore, maybe. And everybody was just like rolling with it. And I and I think that may be one of them. Okay. Um, but you know, I think maybe it's just easier access. You know, you don't have maybe. to puncture as much skin. You're just you're just like the slight little film that's there from healing. Sure. I don't know. That's just a guess. Uh, anyway. Yeah, so my next one is that he was telling his therapist about being horny. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, he's very honest with his therapist. I mean, I will give him that, right? If he is there to get help, he is being open and honest with this doctor. Yeah. To his credit. the Probably the only thing that I can say 
to his credit in the entire movie. <laughs> is that he's good to his therapist. He's is that honest he's just, with his therapist. He's trying to be honest with his therapist. <laughs> yeah, and around around this point, I officially like checked off the box of Nick Cage as an asshole in the movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, he was an asshole through the most of the beginning, but I thought maybe there was like going to be something that made him like his mental illness and he was going to get better or something. But no, there's none of that. Nope. Um, he smokes in this movie. So that's fun. That needs to be a bingo card thing. That's fair. Point. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, we'll look into adding that. Um, so he, we get another scene of him at the office and he, I think this is the scene where he just like has his head down and he just slowly, yells alva louder and louder and louder until he's literally he probably yells it 10 times and by the end he's just screaming her mm-hmm. name and, and she's, keep not, like she's not that far away yeah i think she maybe this isn't that scene because I, this is the how am i am i getting through to you alva scene and she, in that in the scene i'm talking about she does not go in there and he comes mm-hmm. out to her so I, I don't he he's harassing her about the contract because she still hasn't found it right and he tells her how important he tells her i think this is when he tells her to sit there while he takes the phone call from the the guy the dance he's gonna have to do he has to do a dance for this customer to make sure that they understand you know that they're trying to get it found but that they haven't yet but they're working hard on it and so he takes the phone call while she's sitting there and the guy is like very nice. He's like, I understand that you guys, this is an old file and you guys probably are going to have to spend some time trying to find this contract. It's really no hurry. I'm not in a hurry for it at all. And so he, he just basically, all Nick Cage does in this is basically acknowledge the guy and says, yes. Okay. Yes. And then hangs up. And at the end of it, he tells Alva that he did not have to do this, the dance, but that the customer wants it by the end of the week. Or he's going to pull his contract or, he's, or he's whatever. He's going to pull his contract. And he does the famous... The point. Know, the point with his head down. Not like looking at her. Um, yeah. Am I, I getting through to you, Alva? Yeah, that line. Yep. Which is great. In context, I mean, it was lovely. And there's <laughs> there's a lot of scenes in this where you get context from some of the memes and things like that. And you... St- even in context, it doesn't make any sense to why he's acting that way. Yeah. He, I mean, he's off the rails and it's, you don't really know why. Like he, he seems to hate Alva. She hasn't done anything wrong. He's claiming that this contract is a really big deal, but the guy seems totally chill. Yeah. Right? It seems like he's a, on a bit of a power trip. Trying, Like he gets off a little bit on trying to control Alva. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and we do get an awkward diner scene. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what made it awkward. I think he just like is sitting there and then something happens and he just starts yelling in the middle of the diner and walks out. There's two women sitting in the booth behind him and one of them got proposed to and he, he hasn't been waited on yet. They're kind of ignoring him and he just like flips out on everybody. Yeah. And when he's flipping, when he flips out, he leaves and he walks back to his apartment and we get something interesting that has no explanation even by the director as to why it's there or what the point of it is. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, is this the cockroach scene? No. Okay. This is the mimes in front of his apartment. Oh, the dancers. 
doing yeah. like what the West Side Story on loop because when he comes out later, they're still out there doing the same scene. The same scene. Yeah. Like, the director during the scene in the commentary said that he has no idea why that was in the movie. But so he, sh- he shot the movie. He did. Yeah. Or maybe he didn't. Like, I, at this point, was he actually there? <laughs> I mean, one has to wonder. This was 1988, if, and, and they did the commentary 11 years later. So maybe he was doing some uh, illicit things that caused him to not remember a lot of this shoot. I don't know. I'm not saying that from any place. I don't know anything about this director. But the fact that he had like doesn't know what the movie's about, he has random shit in there that he doesn't even know why it's in the movie, makes me wonder. I mean, maybe the cinematographer just did more because so the cinematographer is Stefan. Um, I'm not gonna butcher your last name if you're listening, Stefan. But he he has done like he's still working. He was director of photography on an ep- a couple episodes of Star Girl, even. So like he did Blades of Glory and Matilda, a couple of Batman Returns. He was the director of photography for Batman Returns. Ryan, director of photography, but not the director. No, direct, but but and Edward Scissorhand. So maybe he did a lot of the heavy lifting, and that's why our director Robert doesn't really know a lot of it. Maybe. He literally said in the commentary, I don't know what this is about. I don't know what I was doing. I haven't got a clue. That was his quote from the commentary. So, yeah, there's literally just two minds when he's walking back to his apartment doing West Side Story. Uh, like, uh, just acting and no words, obviously, because they're mimes. And he comes back <laughs> out of his apartment later, and it's literally Jesus. the same scene recycled. Yeah. They're not recycling the the same scene with Nick Cage, but he's coming out of his apartment, and the minds are playing through the same scene that they were when he walked in. Which makes me wonder: Are they doing like the same ten second scene over and over again, forever, like for hours? They're trapped in time. Very weird. (laughs) They're still there. Rumor has it. Uh, My next (laughs) note is knock at door before date. Yeah, yeah, he's getting ready for a date. He's got a hot date. Uh, well, no, he doesn't have a hot So he's, he, apolog- oh, he wants right. to apologize to Jackie, and he gets Jackie to agree to meet him at the same club that they met at at the beginning of the movie. And he's getting ready to go when there's a knock at the door. Yes. And it freaks him the hell out for some reason. Yeah, he walks out, and there's nobody there. Nobody and somehow else. he's already late for the date. Yeah, so he finishes getting ready, and then he leaves... And as he's getting ready to leave, he gets stopped by the vampire woman mm-hmm. who seduces him back up to his apartment and bites him some more. Right. And he misses the date. Yeah. Jackie's date. very upset. Writes him a big FU letter on a napkin. Yes. That's, you know, that's the last we see of Jackie, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so, yeah, we go back to his uh, his office and this is the scene where he's slowly getting increasingly louder with the alva yelling mm-hmm. and she it, the the scene cuts to her sitting at her desk and hearing him yelling and like looking frightened and you see him like stomping towards her and she gets up and starts running and he jumps up on another desk uh-huh 
to chase her and he chases her through this office into the women's bathroom uh-huh. corners her uh-huh. and she says i've got a gun i will shoot you and there's an old lady in there that's like what the fuck is going on <laughs> what the hell is happening? And then she just walks away. And she just leaves. Yeah. Clearly, like, clearly Peter is deranged. He's cornered a, a co-worker because she works, this is the same company. This isn't yeah. like, you know, they're strangers or anything. These people work together, right? And she's, she just, she knows something's wrong, calls it out to the audience, and leaves. Yeah. What the fuck? And you can see it's funny because the old lady, if you watch it, you can see her look directly into the camera <laughs> on her way out, like probably looking to the director to to ask her to like see if she got it or whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you can see her look directly into the camera. And that's the take. They were like, we're going to use that one. That's the one. That's the yeah, take. That's, that's it. Um, and then I have napkin breakdown. I mean, yeah. So so Nick, fi- Nick, Peter finds the napkin that Jackie wrote you know the get out of my life stay out of my life or whatever note that she puts on his mailbox mm, that's right and he has a bit of a breakdown over it because i yeah. think like there's a shred of sanity left in him and he knows like jackie is this real person she seems like a cool woman and he keeps screwing it up because he's got the vampire lady right who isn't real right um <laughs> and so this is this is the part you were talking about earlier where he goes up to his apartment and he just starts destroying everything and so none, of it, none of it was props like no, it, was it was all real real furniture and the director said on during the commentary that it, he did not know how he let him do this because they had like one take because once everything was broken they couldn't reset it it was all right. real furniture anyway yeah it's the, it he if, if you get a chance to see this scene when the people talk about like cage rage i don't really love that term because not when he's acting cagey it's not always rage Mm-hmm. But this would be probably like if you're talking about cage rage, that's probably a good example of it. Uh, I mean, he just goes ape shit and starts. Yeah. And you can tell that it's not prop stuff. Because I mean, there's a moment like, where he kicks a lamp and he hits the light bulb and it just ex- it explodes like there's yeah. sparks and everything. Uh, they're lucky nobody got hurt. They did break one of the two cameras that were set up, um, which I'm sure was not not cheap. Um but again, like this was not a non-union production and the union would have had a lot of rules about that type of stuff. And so, you know, again, the question is chicken before the egg kind of thing, right? Was it a non-union film because they wanted to do this stuff or did they get to do this stuff because it was a non-union film? I'm guessing it was because of the budget of the film that they would have, that would have put them out of budget if they had to do things the way that, with the union. Certainly possible. Certainly um... possible. So then but, we get a scene with uh, with him back at his therapist, and we get this is the famous scene of the movie. I mean, this is the meme face is is probably the most iconic still, but this scene is probably the one that if that people would know. <laughs> He's talking to his therapist about about uh, this file that they're or this contract they're looking for, and she's giving some examples about why it might not be so easy to find this file. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of trying to be empathetic towards Alva, essentially, you know, why he should be empathetic about it. Oh, see, I didn't get that. I thought she was just trying to kind of get him off the hook from being like obsessed with it. Maybe, but that, that in turn is what makes him more, would make him more empathetic towards Alva. I would think he wouldn't be harassing her as much about finding this oh, file. 
I mean, that's certainly true. I just nothing from Doctor Glazer made me think she gave a shit about any of the people. In well, his she life. probably doesn't have any idea about Alva. I mean, yeah, yeah it's I, I just meant as a consequence of it. Gotcha. But, um, yeah, he was definitely had some like obsessive things with this contract, and this is the scene where you know she's talking about filing, and he's goes off about how easy filing is, and just <laughs> do it in alphabetical order, and he starts yelling off the alphabet at her. And uh, and she goes, good job. You know how to do your alphabet. And he does like, the whole thing. <laughs> he does the whole goes through the whole alphabet. And he the, this part of the scene reminded me of like a third grader throwing a tantrum. Yeah, because he's like goes through the whole alphabet. And she's like, oh, you know, your alphabet. And he's like, and I never misfiled anything. And he like crosses his arms and mm. like, like, yeah, like, like does little this, rascals like, acting like or a something. Little kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, and maybe that's why she treated the bat lo, like bat arousal thing this way earlier in the movie. Maybe she has just like filed this guy away as this giant immature toddler, which seems like something you wouldn't want to do as a therapist because your job is to try and help them through those issues. But you'd think so. And she's a psychiatrist. Yeah, which yeah, means she can prescribe medicine. Well, he says that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's actually what she is. Well, she does have doctor in her title. Like a, that's a, a, true. Th- a therapist or a counselor doesn't require. But they can be a doctor. They can be. Yeah. We, and, and we never see her prescribe any medication or anything like that. So it's hard true. to say. It yeah. doesn't really matter in the end. But, no. <laughs> but we did notice that, too. I was watching this <laughs> with my girlfriend and she said, wouldn't she be a therapist and not a psychiatrist? And I was like, I don't I don't know. I, I don't mean, know. We'll never know. The world may never know. Whatever it is, Um, she's making good money. That's uh, that's what we do know. That is a nice office. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, he shows up the next day to work wearing sunglasses because uh, the sun is getting to be too difficult for him to deal with. Dude, these aren't aren't even regular sunglasses. These are like what they make you wear when you get LASIK. (laughs) Yeah, they are like black sunglasses. (laughs) They're huge. They're huge. And eventually he has Alva in his office again. And this is where we get the iconic, you know, meme face of him, like, with his face back and his eyes as big as they could possibly go. His eyes got wider and wider. And I kept looking. I'm like, there's no way it can keep going. And it just keeps going. The memes that I've seen, I don't even think are the peak of his look in that movie. And I'm going to be honest, that face was way scarier, like, to see in motion like on, the, like on your TV, like like real, you know, and not just like can, a GIF. Yeah, when you see the GIF or when you see the image, it it's funny. Yeah. But when you see it in the movie, it's like, what this guy is so freaking weird, and it's it's a little frightening. Like it's it's if I ran into somebody doing that to me on the street, I would be freaking out a little bit. It's like, crazy. Look, there are some performances in cinema, right, where you're like, man, that was just truly inc- incredible. That actor became this character and it's it's scary or it's, you know, whatever. This was so unhinged. Peter, throughout a lot of this movie, is so unhinged that I could imagine some of the, the cast and crew being very uneasy around Around him him. yeah i agree and plus if he's like doing the method thing like he was talking about then that yeah that would be very unnerving right uh and you 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 listeners may notice that we keep using words like unhinged and batshit crazy because there's really not an 
any other words that would work for this. I mean, it is just nuts. Between that, the scene that we're talking about, the meme face scene, between trashing the apartment, uh, the alphabet scene, a few, a couple scenes that happen later that we'll get to, like, I don't know another way to describe them other than this is an unhinged human being. Yeah. And you kind of wonder if that was just like what Nick Cage, I, I, what Nick Cage was doing in this movie. I mean, I, I don't, I, I guess I think I said that earlier, he was, I feel like he was just improvising a lot of stuff and you can kind of tell, I mean, and, and not that there's a problem with that, but it's just, that's why I think the plot is a little nonsensical or trying to figure out the plot because it seems like he just did what he was going to do. And it, the director just tried to get the shot of whatever he was doing. I mean, it would be really interesting to get the actual shooting script. And, and compare, compare it to it. what actually. Yeah, I agree. Right. Because I would like to know how much of it was in there versus not. Yeah. Uh, so we get more vampire sexy times. And then afterwards, <laughs> it's like late at night and his TV is on and the old Nos Nosferatu movie comes on. Yeah. And this is a big transition point in the movie um, because he starts acting more and more like the actor from that movie that played Nosferatu. Mm -hmm. He starts like hunching his shoulders a lot and just, you know, acting more and more like that character um and then when he so when he wakes up the next morning he's looking at the mirrors and this is another you know one of those things one of those uh mirror themes that i mentioned earlier but he starts touching the mirror and acting like he's it's burning him <laughs> which is when you mentioned the vampire lore stuff earlier i feel like just nobody wanted to tell him that that wasn't part of vampire lore that well mirrors burn you the the only thing I can think of, this was the eighties. Maybe the mirrors had silver backing to them, but silver isn't a thing for vampires. It was a thing for werewolves. It's just werewolves. It's not yes. vampires. It's just werewolves. Yeah, and and I thought the same thing about that. Maybe he was just confusing werewolves with vampires. <laughs> I, and and if, <laughs> if I'm wrong, then uh, you know, please tell us. Uh, you know, no, I think you're right. Now that I'm thinking it through, yeah, because it, it's the silver bullet for the I'm werewolves. Not so familiar with werewolf or with vampire and werewolf lore that I could not. That there's a chance I'm not wrong or, or that I'm wrong. I'm, I'm I could be wrong for sure. So like I said, if somebody listener out there, I mean, is, the thing with mirrors is they're not supposed to have a reflection. Right. Right. That's the mirror thing for vampires. Yeah. And there is a scene, I think, later where he acts like he can't see himself, but the audience can clearly see him in all the mirrors. In like, there's two different mirrors at two yeah. different angles, and we can clearly clearly see him. It's a pretty funny scene, actually. So then we get the then we get the cockroach scene. Ugh. So there's like a cockroach running around on the table, and he like picks it up and looks at it for a second, and then he eats it. And it was a live cockroach that he, the actor Nicolas Cage, did eat. Twice, in fact, if you listen to the commentary. Uh, oh, the I thought it was three times. IMDb said three times. Uh, I, I think it was only two because the director said that he was getting him back because there was a scene that Ugh. that where Nick Cage made him angry the day before. And so he made him shoot that scene twice and ended up using the first take from the scene anyway. So he had it on the first take. Well, um, supposedly PETA was upset about this scene. Yeah. 
And I mean, Nick got a little defensive about it. But they weren't but, upset about the pigeon later. I mean, supposedly the pigeon's not really harmed, whereas he clear he does eat a cockroach. Right, that's fair. Um, but also, this goes back to the vampire lore thing. Do vampires eat cockroaches? Is that a thing? I thought they really only drank blood, and that was their whole diet. Well, so, okay, so in Dracula... Um, it's a Renfield re- thing. Renfield eat, eats a cockroach, right? Right, and, he, and he's... But Renfield like, is not a vampire. He's not like a full vampire, but he's been given, like, certain yes. abilities and stuff. And so I think it's supposed to be, and we, we see this in some other vampire adaptations, that, like, while the person is still coming to grips with what they've become, they need to get, like, the blood from something. And so they tend to go after things that won't be missed, small things, like, in this case, cockroaches or birds or, you know, rats, stuff like that, instead of, like, people. I feel like the amount of blood in a cockroach is probably slimmer than what would be ideal you'd have to eat like yeah. a million cockroaches to get but it's his first blood. time right it's his first attempt he's still kind of figuring it out it's not like i think one of the keys right it's like it's not like you're given a manual it's like you know how to be a vampire right so he's like figuring it out sure and he is kind of like pathetic through the whole thing too i mean even the the vampire lady you know calls that out a few times yeah uh so next we get a scene out of his office again where he's trying to get a hold of alva and finds out that she has called in sick that day right so he takes a cab all the way out he gets her address from like the rolodex which if a you rolodex, know rolodex kids. is yeah it's literally <laughs> like a bunch of small index cards that you keep contact information on it's like your phone's contact thing essentially in irl in, in paper form so he gets her address and takes a taxi out to her house and he she's like ironing uh yeah without ironing her shirt clothes, on for without her reason. shirt on and he shows up staring at her through the window Jesus Christ and she notices him keep in mind that earlier in this movie not not more than a few days before that he chased her through the entire work building to the point where she threatened to murder him mm-hmm. if he doesn't stop so he shows up to her house and is creeping at her through the window. And, you know, she like does the boob cover up thing, even though she's wearing a bra. And uh, he says he wants to apologize. He feels bad about the way they ended things. He wants to make it up to her. And essentially he's acting very manipulative to her because he does get her to get dressed and head back to the office. He pays for the cab to take her back. And he spent fifty dollars, which in nineteen eighty eight was probably a lot of money, on For a cab, cab ride, there, yeah, um, to get her back to the office. And on the cab ride on the way back, uh, you know, he start he he does a total shift mm-hmm. to back to the asshole boss. At one point, he tells her, "Shut up, bitch," and uh, you know, it's yeah, he turns back into an asshole. Yeah. Um, and he, she asks on the way back if she can stop in. Her brother is there at this shop, and she wants to stop in and get something from him. She needs to give him some money, and he just doesn't care. Like he's like whatever. And so they pull over, and she goes in and asks her brother for bullets for this gun that he. I assume he gave her. Yeah. He, so she says that he gave her the gun, right? And he's like, "You're not even really supposed to have it." 
And this whole time, it's really been just as like a show. There's no right because he said that he, he it, most people will just run away when you pull it out. You don't need bullets, right? And so she doesn't have he doesn't have bullets for it. The only thing he has is blanks. And so he gives her the blanks, and and as soon as this happened, I was like, okay, so she's gonna end up shooting those at him, and he's gonna think he's immortal because they don't <laughs> do anything to him. Um. <laughs> And you know you'll find were you out surprised, later. But were you surprised that he let her stop and go talk to her brother? Well, at the moment, at the time, he's going through like something. I don't know if it was the sun. I can't remember what it was, but something was like making him feel sick. Yeah. And so he, at that point, was just trying to deal with whatever was happening to him. So not really. I okay. don't think he really okay. cared about anything in the moment, other than trying to get through whatever's happening. Fair enough. And I, my next note is hair pulling Alva he pulls her hair at some point i don't know oh well yeah is this right before the the assault scene it must be yeah yeah because he's he's trying to get her to shoot him he wants her to shoot him she's scared of him obviously um he's trying to you know he continues to be very aggressive about the contract thing talking about her staying late all this other stuff and he's chasing her through the building Right, they, there's the big sequence where they're running down the stairs and everything. Yeah, I think in this, at sometime in this, is when he looks in the mirrors and acts like he doesn't see his reflection. Because I have that as my next note after the hair pulling. Where am I in the bathroom mirrors? Yeah, there's a there's a guy in the bathroom. Yeah, and he's like <laughs> he he's like looking in the mirrors, going, "Where am I?" And there's like three mirrors around him, and you can clearly see him in the mirrors, but mm-hmm. he's he apparently can't see himself. Uh, and he hallucinates the cab driver. So during the cab, he sees like a picture of the guy or he's talking to the cab driver and the cab driver shows him a picture of him and his wife. Mm-hmm. And he hallucinates those guys later. Yeah. Um, during during this whole thing with the Alva. Um, my my note, first note about the chase was this too late Alva chase. Too late. Oh, because she finds the so she's she when she he brings her oh. back. She's working like all night trying to find this. Yeah, and she finds the contract and brings it into his office, and he tells her it's too late. And he starts. This is where he gets like really fucking crazy, and he's chasing her, saying it's too late, too late. Um, he. They race up a lot, a lot of stairs. Yeah, a lot of stairs. And it shows all the stairs for some reason. All uh, and they get to like this, uh, not a sky bridge, but like a bridge between two buildings, it seems like. Like an area. No, I think it was a maintenance area. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, it was hard to tell what it was, but it was like a fenced in area. Uh, and she said, asked if he's going to, or he says, she says, don't rape me or something along those lines. And it's pointing the gun at him. And he he says like rape you i will shoot me shoot me he's like encouraging her to shoot him he's trying to say anything he can to get her to shoot him now why do you think that is do you think that's because he thinks he's immortal and it won't work or do you think it's because like he wants to die no i think it's because he he's like trying to see if he has that power but it's hard to know for sure uh you know he's so unhinged in the scene i don't really know how to interpret it um, but yeah, he ends up like hitting her, biting her neck. And uh, at this point, it's a little ambiguous as to whether he rapes her or not. 
Uh, it's kind of implied. I don't, I don't think he does. But he says he, he did later. Does he? Yeah, when he's having the talk with his therapist, he's like, oh, I raped a girl. Oh, I th- well, that whole thing is a hallucination, though. But he is, sure, but, I mean, we he says he did that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. He Fair enough. The way the he, scene is shot, I did not think it got that far. I didn't. I didn't either. But then uh, the, a later scene seems to imply that he did. Um, yeah, because getting the gun, he like once he realized the gun was on the ground, it felt like that interrupted everything else, and he tries to kill himself. And you know, I mean, yeah. So he finds the gun after it happens, and he puts it into his mouth, and he's shooting into his mouth. And I was actually pretty impressed with that scene because it looked practical. But yeah, there's no way he was shooting bullets into his mouth because or shooting blanks into his mouth no. because that would have killed him. Yeah, this was this was way before the crow. This was like six right. years before the crow where Brandon Lee died from a blank. But I, apparently Nick really wanted to shoot blanks into his mouth. Yeah, I mean, blanks are still no joke. Um, they still shoot the wad and everything else out of the bullet, even if the bullet is or out of the cartridge, even if the bullet isn't in there and it still has pretty high pressure. So that would have probably killed him if he had done that but it looked realistic so i part of me wonders how they did that i'm sure it was just like a little spark in the end of the gun or something yeah I, I, and and good sound mixing you know and good sound mixing yeah but he literally he doesn't just do it once he does it twice yeah which made it even more impressive to me because i mean i feel like the actor in that situation would be a little intimidated by what is about to happen right in front of their face mm-hmm. and in the 80s they were using real guns that that and they would just load blanks into them. So, I mean, it was probably a real gun. Right. But, yeah, that was an interesting scene. Uh, but after that happens, we get this the other another famous scene from this movie where he's running through the streets yelling, I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! I'm... And, and this is one of the scenes where he's just doing it next to normal pedestrians, and they just don't give a shit. Nobody cares. This is like non-actor people just walking through the street on their, you know, having a night. And... Mm-hmm. He's just running through the streets screaming that. And uh, yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> I don't know about wonderful, but it was. You didn't something. you didn't tell me you didn't laugh at that scene. Oh, I definitely laughed. Yeah, okay. Um, and this is where we find out too that he's sleeping under a tipped over couch as like oh a fill fill in coffin. Dude, that is it's so well done because when he like he he lifts it open right it's like the lid to a coffin and it creaks and everything like a wooden coffin does and he lowers it back like it the sound i will say the people who handled like the sound mixing and the sound editing for this movie they actually did quite a good job yeah in this film you know anytime sound is a factor whether it's it's this scene or when he's trashing the apartment or the gun or whatever it's so good so those those technical things in the movie were really well done yeah agreed um so we we now get the scene where he goes and he's convinced that he kind of looks at his teeth and realizes that he doesn't have fangs yet (sighs) jesus and so he goes into the shop where What's the what's it called when it's like the study of the human head where it's like they do the thing with the hand like the lumps on your head and they can read it's like phrenology or something like that. Oh, um, yeah. It sure. looks like that's the like it's a shop for that kind of thing. It looks like uh, a cult shop. Like, it, like Ray shop. Ray works there or something. Sure, that's a Ghostbusters <laughs> reference for those who don't know. But um, <laughs> it this is not a shop where I would expect to 
them to have $3.50 hidden plastic vampire teeth behind the counter. Oh my god. They do have like really nice like handcrafted vampire teeth that the guy offers to Nick Cage's character, but they were like $98 or something and he spent all his cash on the cab for Alva, so he only has like $4 or something like that and the guy pulls out the he asks him Nick asks him if there's anything cheaper. And so he pulls out these little like plastic fangs and if you lived in the 80s and 90s, you've probably had some of these in your mouth at some point. Uh, they're just the cheapest shit. And the fact that it, it was like $3.50 for this and that they kept it hidden behind the counter, not like on display. Right, yeah. yeah. I really ask. wonder what, like who runs this shop because they really have their priorities in a weird space. It's such a weird scene though because at the same time, the way Peter is interacting with the shop guy this is the most like Normal. level he is yeah. the entire movie. Yeah, I'm just looking for some vampire teeth. Oh, yeah. Do you have anything cheaper? You know, like he's totally chill. Maybe <laughs> he feels like this guy gets him and isn't judging him because he works at an occult shop or something. Maybe, maybe. So then we he puts in these plastic teeth like on a park bench. My God. And it looks ridiculous. I mean, you've probably seen screenshots of it, but it looks as ridiculous as you would imagine. Nick Cage with these big fake vampire teeth. So I had never seen any of those images. So this oh, was really? new to me. Th- this part was a surprise. Oh, wow. So you, what was your take on it when he gets those teeth in? I, my brain had a hard time reconciling that I was actually watching that. <laughs> Because, uh, like, when they show the first teeth, right, the porcelain ones or whatever, yeah. fiberglass, fiberglass, uh, you know, they look pretty good, you know? And so I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever, that's that's fine. That's a way for them to to continue that, that going. But then when he gets the plastic ones, I just – I didn't understand what was happening anymore. <laughs> Your brain just couldn't comprehend what was – what you were watching. Well, because, like, this this guy has to be – just off his rocker, right? Because there's there's no way he thinks he's a real vampire, but he needs plastic teeth. Well, his just haven't grown in yet. Sure. How else is he gonna get blood? Well, well. <sighs> anyway, so yeah, after he get, puts these teeth in on a park bench, <sighs> uh, he sees some pigeons, and so he starts chasing the pigeons around, and he finds one, and he starts chasing it around. And Nick Cage actually caught a pigeon for this. And he was very proud of that fact. But then he fi- found out that they drugged the pigeon, which I'm surprised that PETA wasn't like, I had a problem with that. But they had drugged the pigeon to slow it down so that Nick Cage could catch it. It must have been a safe sedative or something. Maybe. Uh, but in the, it was the 80s, man. That pigeon probably died and they just Aww. didn't tell anybody. PETA anyway, would have said something about that. Well, not if there's no way to know. Anyway... Yeah, he takes the pigeon back to his apartment and the camera is just like following a trail of feathers in his apartment. And Too many feathers. A lot of feathers for <laughs> one pigeon. And eventually it gets to like, you see the pigeon, parts of the pigeon carcass. And he, it cuts up to him with these plastic vampire teeth still in Jesus. and like pigeon blood in his mouth. Like he just ate this whole pigeon with, with the plastic his vampire hands. teeth in. Yeah. I uh, I don't he know. He ate a man. raw pigeon. He did, I mean, but with plastic vampire teeth in, and that just made look, it. If he if he did if the if the bat bite didn't give him rabies, he certainly was gonna die after eating this pigeon. Probably. And then he goes <laughs> to his coffin, and we see him wake up the next day. His coffin being a couch that he lays under 
it, it's tipped over couch so that the cushions and the back form like a v and he sleeps in that v and that's mm-hmm. like his makeshift coffin uh and so when we see him wake up the next morning he still has the fangs in yep. so he slept with them all night uh, i think so, he wears them for the rest of the movie pretty much he takes them out at one point but uh briefly uh so he goes back to the club where he's been meeting all these women and I was trying to figure out what the camera was doing at this point because it seemed like it was just showing a bunch of boobs, like cleavage oh, shots. Oh, they're necks. What, yeah, it was showing necks, yeah. but it was also showing like chest and cleavage areas. So it took me a minute because the neck was just like in the top part of the shot. It wasn't the main center focus of the shot. Gotcha. So it took me a minute and same with my girlfriend to try and figure out what what this was because it was like 20 necks that it showed. <laughs> and they were basically, they were all women. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, he he he's walking through this club, and eventually he goes upstairs, which apparently he has access to at this club. I don't know. But he goes upstairs, and there's a lone woman by herself in this, like, VIP area doing cocaine. Yep. Just sitting by herself. This club is super packed. He's having to push his way through it. And then he gets up there, and there's just one woman doing cocaine. And I imagine in the 80s, if you had cocaine at a club, you weren't doing it by yourself in general. You know, or at the very least, there were guards watching you. Right, something. Um, if you're important enough to be able to go to a VIP area to do cocaine by yourself. Um, but yeah, so he walks in there and immediately starts sexually assaulting her. Well, She's, no, 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 well, wait. It Hang starts on. out seemingly consensual. No, but like she she's laughing at me. like he's making like jokes with the teeth and everything like that and she thinks it's hilarious until i don't think he's making jokes with the teeth i think he's just like showing off the teeth and he thinks that that's what he's doing but she thinks he's making jokes fair enough that's but yeah she, she's into it at and first then, sh- then he grabs her yeah he that's... starts like they make out a little bit or whatever and no it yeah. doesn't even get that far Oh, okay. So he's he, just like close to her. Yeah, and then he grabs he grabs her breasts and she slaps him. Right. And and then yeah. he pushes her down and bites her neck with the plastic fangs, which must her neck must have been made with tissue paper because I've had a set of those fangs and I can't imagine them going through anything. I don't know. I, mean, I guess if you bite hard enough, I mean, I don't know. But yeah, it's uh he he, he kills her. So I had casual murder checked off on at this point. I wasn't sure if that was considered casual or not. So I mean, it wasn't really premeditated. It didn't seem like. I mean, maybe he went there to go feed, but he didn't plan to kill this specific woman. I don't think he didn't know she was going to be up there. Fair he was enough. just looking for somebody alone. Yeah. So I call it casual. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so he he bites into this woman, and uh. You know, there's blood everywhere, obviously, and he has it all over his face for the rest of the movie. Uh, but it is it is interesting because when he walks away from her, there's a shot of her like laying on the on the couch, and there are puncture marks. But he also has like regular teeth mark, like you know when you yeah. bite your arm and you see their teeth marks mm-hmm. or whatever. It has like regular teeth marks, which is not something you really see in vampire movies very often. No. So I thought that was interesting. Maybe because he's unpracticed, he didn't just hit with the fangs. He right. like bit into the whole neck. Well, it's because it's the plastic teeth. It's not the real teeth. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, um, he had to bite too hard because they were plastic. So then he goes back down to the club area and runs into Jennifer Beals' character, mm-hmm. who is playing the vampire. But in this case, 
he starts like acting like she's a vampire to him to her and like a, a boyfriend shows up and is like you know not happy that and she she smiles and sees that she doesn't have fangs so i mean at this point you're questioning whether she's manipulating him now or like if you know some people i would assume the people that think he's actually a vampire by the end of the movie would be thinking this because <laughs> she is smiling as if like she's fucking with this guy no she recognized him because they they kind of chatted at the at that other club one night yeah so that's the, i think they chatted they had a nice night Nothing bad happened, right? But he didn't go home with her. So when he when he's like, "Don't you you know recognize me or whatever?" At first she doesn't recognize him, right? And then he has to say something about it. And she's like, "Oh yeah, right." The other night, kind of thing. I think she was just trying to be polite, right? Yeah. So we realize that. Oh, before this, uh, after he bites the girl, he like goes and pukes. Yeah. And it's like laying on the ground and he gets the hallucination of Jennifer Beale's character again. What we think is a hallucination, you know, whatever. We, nobody knows what's going on in this movie. So, <laughs> uh, But she's being super mean to him. Yeah. Calling him names and just Pathetic. insulting. Yeah, insulting him, which I thought was interesting. But yeah, then he runs into her in the club and he eventually gets kicked out of the club. And he just like starts walking through the streets moaning. He's got like blood on his face, yeah. blood on his shirt. His hair looks... This might be the most ridiculous hair I've ever seen him have. It is probably, yeah, it's up there. Uh, and he finds a palette that's broken. And so he takes a piece of the palette off that's sharp. Pretty and he's large. Like trying to kill himself with the wooden stake through the heart with the palette, but doesn't really work. He I tries didn't to count ask that. some people to do it. <laughs> I didn't count that as like a melee weapon because he wasn't really like try, trying hard to hurt himself with it. No, I don't, I don't think so, that counts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then he gets to this point where he's gets to the street corner, like the corner of this building, and it cuts to therapy. And it, he's talking to his therapist. Before before you get to that, though, we do have to bring Alva's brother into the mix. Okay, yes, yeah, so that's a good point. Right. So, but even though he's not really in the mix at all in this movie. Until the very until end. Until the very end. <laughs> We met him with the bullet thing, but then after Alva gets, I don't, was this after the, the rape? Yes. The sexual assault? Because her so face, she, she has a big bruise on her face where she hit the ground. She goes into like a deep depression mm -hmm. and her family's like trying to talk to her and nobody will talk to her. And then, okay, so did you find this weird? Her and her brother seem to have a very odd relationship because she shows up in his room while he's asleep and it's just like watching him sleep essentially or waiting for him to wake up. And he gets up and it's just like a really awkward scene. Well, I think I think it's it's supposed to show that she doesn't want to talk to her parents. She can't like talk to them about what happened. Nobody knows what happened, right? They just know that she's depressed, locked away in her room. We don't mm. even know that her parents know she's injured. Based on her brother's reaction, I don't think they know. And so she has made the decision to tell him, full well knowing what's likely going to be the outcome. And I think she is hesitant to do that, probably not because she cares at all about Peter, but because she doesn't want anything to happen to her brother. Right. He's just sleeping. So when he wakes up, he sees a completely distraught, like broken down sister whose side of her face is all fucked up. And he's just trying to be comforting. So I think it's just a very emotional situation where you know, they, they just, they're, they're close. They have a bond and she's, he's the only one she trusts. Fair enough. So yeah, it shows him like 
that like it implies that she's gonna tell him what's going on although we don't see that um so yeah then he it shows him on this like street corner uh where it cuts to therapy where he's talking to his therapist and he's like complaining about not finding anybody and she says well i i have the perfect person for you jesus christ and in he she likes all the same things you do and she's perfect and she's actually my next appointment and right at that point like you hear like a doorbell or a knock or something like that and uh and he's gets excited and he's like that is that her and he's like yeah and she goes and opens the door and you know he's they have the same interests he, they go through like what do you like and she says all the things that she likes and he says i like all those same things and then it starts cutting out a little bit switching between two different viewpoints it we see him completely disheveled blood all on his face his hair crazy talking to himself at with, or talking to the corner of a building essentially where he's having this conversation with his therapist in reality but then he's he it keeps cutting between the hallucination and this conversation with his fake therapist or with his imaginary version of his therapist and so uh the therapist is like you know oh you guys are gonna be perfect and you know you guys should go go out and so they start to leave and uh peter is like oh well i should tell you i murdered a woman yesterday or i raped a woman yesterday and she was like oh it was just it's just your id getting out no big deal and he's like oh okay but also uh, I, I I murdered someone. And she's like, oh, that's fine. A million people get murdered every day in New York. You're not going to, it's not going to be a problem. You think they're going to notice? And he's like, well, what about the police? The police will notice. And she's like, oh, don't worry. You two just get to know each other. I'll take care of the police. And during this whole scene, it's, it's cutting between him talking to a, a, a wall, essentially. And then also where he's saying the same things and continuing the conversation Mm-hmm. But then cutting back to the, the imaginary therapy also it's it, that is a, that part was a really interesting scene i thought yeah because uh, you got to straight up see his hallucination and what he's seeing versus what's actually happening and which that's the only time you really see that in the movie and those are a little bit tricky to, to shoot right because you have to overshoot usually and shoot some of the dialogue that you're going to cut to inter you know intersplice with the other version of it it is really it's really it's kind of a crazy scene because it, it begins to call into question things like well is the is his therapist real does he ever actually see a real right. therapist when did this become an unreliable narrator situation you know when did this become what what parts of this was he hallucinating right and like you know you've got well he, there's the payphone call where he calls her at night and you're kind of like well i guess that probably happened but then you're like well but i mean do we know that it happens? Which I feel like the scene with American from American Psycho was like a direct ripoff of that scene because I don't know if you remember American Psycho, but there's a scene where Patrick Bateman uh, at the very end, like all the cops have him pinned in this room, and he's calls his therapist and leaves a message. He's like, "I really did kill," or maybe it was his lawyer. He calls somebody and he's like, "I I killed uh I killed this guy and I killed this guy and I cut their head off and I did all this." And he's leaving a message for him, mm-hmm. but you don't really know whether that actually happened. Right. Uh, and it's an unreliable narrator thing. And I feel like maybe it was an homage rather than a ripoff. I don't know. It's hard to distinguish between those two things. But yeah, I definitely got the fact that there was a lot 
taken from or borrowed from or inspired by this movie in that movie and that was one of the things there's a lot of tone crossover between the two for sure so uh a couple of times it's cut during this conversation it cuts to alva and her brother sitting in a car and it looks to be that they're sitting across from uh peter's apartment right and they're waiting for him to show up and so eventually he does show up and he's like dragging this wooden piece of pallet through the streets <laughs> still and goes inside and and she's like oh that's him and so he waits a couple minutes and then goes inside um tells her to wait in the car and goes inside finds nick cage's finds peter underneath the couch <laughs> and he lifts the couch off of him and picks up the piece of wood and and puts it to his or no nick cage has puts that to his chest doesn't he put it to his own yeah because the brother he has like a crow uh, not crowbar uh a tire iron yeah classic 80s murder weapon yeah and uh so but you yeah, gotta nick imagine cage, what's like going through his head when he enters this like, trashed apartment and this dude's like sleeping under a couch like right. what the fuck and so basically the the piece of pallet is already up to nick cage's chest so all he has to do is like lean on it a little bit and, and it kills nick cage he nick just cage like dies s- at the end slowly pushes it in yeah and and so he dies and it cuts the end of the movie and at, right after that there's a scene this is the one i was trying to reference to derek that yeah, he no, really doesn't remember about. i remember but, uh, jennifer beale's character shows up and says something like dream of me dream of me yeah, I think that's just like his hallucination in the throes of death. Like he is dying, and, and that seems like a reasonable, yeah. you know, assumption. But I can also see where you know somebody might think something differently than that. It's all of this is open to interpretation. Sure, um, but but if you think he's a vampire, the stake to the chest thing is like the number one way to kill a vampire. I mean, that's true too. Yeah. So even so that that actually doesn't support, but it's more like, it's not even on his heart. That's what I found funny about it is it's like in his, like just below his sternum, like in a solar yeah. plexus. It, so it like goes through his lung or whatever. Yeah. Which to a va- if it was a vampire, it wouldn't kill him. I guess. I don't know. I don't, but yeah, it was that's a pretty thick piece of wood. I don't know. That's the movie. Um, that's the movie that's yeah. the movie oh my god it was oh my god something special it, this this podcast has gone long because there's a lot to talk about in this movie but uh you know we'll get we'll get through this rating here yeah yeah so all right so those who are new to the show we have our cage o meter we rate all of our movies on a scale of zero through 20 zero low 20 high we do overall quality so 20 being the greatest movie ever uh, and then overall caginess, and so we which do, is just that indescribable quality that Cage brings to a movie that no other actor can really bring. And I think we exactly. can both say for this movie, I think that this is a twenty on caginess. Yeah, I don't think this is going to be. There's going to be another movie that is anywhere. I mean, even the ones that we've rated really highly, I feel like we probably rated too high. If this is the top. But I'm not going to go back and change those. But yes, I think this is a 20, and I don't think anything is going to get even close to it, really. Yeah, no, I I think that's fair. I think we both we both agree that that caginess is a 20. That's that's goes without saying. And we don't really have a whole lot of competition. I'm just kind of looking, and I think the high before that was like overall caginess. I mean, we're looking at Mandy, which Man- is reasonable. That's probably the closest uh, one we've watched. Mandy was a 16. 
Yeah. And I'm sorry, a 16 and a half. And then um, unbearable weight was a 16. Yeah. And I don't, and I think that is probably, I don't, maybe we'll get a little closer on some of his other roles, but I feel like that's, I don't know. I can't imagine any movie getting higher than maybe a 17 or an 18. Yep. If this movie is the 20. I mean, that's how far away, how far out it is compared to all these other movies. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So yeah. then we have to come up with our quality rating. And th- this one's a lot harder. It um, is. I had, a, I had the same thought because it's a lot like, you know, like uh, Evil Dead, right? It's critically, it's maybe not the be- best movie or like Army of Darkness. It's maybe not like objectively the be- best movie, but because of how bad it is it adds a layer of appeal to it that makes it you know rate higher for me and that's a tough that's tough to judge and i agree because a lot lot of the movies that we've rated low from a quality standpoint are movies that are just not a joy to watch they were not fun they were a bit of a slog movies like rage or inconceivable for example yeah they're just bad zondali these are just bad movies prisoners of the ghost land uh it's hard for me to want to rate it as low as those right Right, like i mean we gave we gave left behind you gave it a five and i gave it a four for left behind so it was a four and a half i would watch this over left behind i would watch this over a ton of the movies right even once we've rated like 10 or 11 i'd probably rather watch this one again fair enough so which makes it hard it does it makes this really difficult and so I think I th- I th- I'm trying to be as fair as possible. And I think really the only way to be fair is to maybe give it like an eight. I was thinking an eight too, which it makes me a little sad because like I said, I would rather watch this than a lot of the other movies that we've rated higher. But uh, it's just like judging the actual quality of the movie is, is it, it there was the plot was a mess you know the, the a lot of things just didn't make any sense um and the reason it's enjoyable is mostly because of the caginess of it not mm-hmm. because it's a good movie well th- there are some technical things that give it a knock too like the audio quality is is really the dialogue audio is really terrible yeah. but when i turned on the closed captioning it was riddled with errors tons of typos duplicate letters words missing typos like it was just like there's a lot of technical problems with the movie too where they yeah you know, they could have at least salvaged and some you stuff. also said that the sound design was above average that's true when it came to the sound mixing of like special effect type stuff that's true so, so you're saying an eight so i'm saying an eight yeah i was thinking like an eight or a nine so i think that's a fair place for it okay so an eight on quality and a 20 on caginess so that does put it, of course, in our top left quadrant of movies. Yeah, so. it's probably in a weird spot. Yeah, I mean, there's not too much there. There's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. So this is the sixth movie in that quadrant. 
but it's often it's like it, it's a ways from all those other movies i feel like uh yeah because it, of the caginess being so high if you were to split that quadrant into quadrants it's alone yeah it's the you know what i mean so right. um kind of a, again it's a very strange situation um and then before we'll have to we get we need a new cage meter out there for people to see we'll we'll go over that maybe we can maybe we reach 50 episodes we can do a quick a little uh, recap of where some of the the heavy hitters landed sure um but we need to decide what movie is going to join our wheel o cage and replace vampire's kiss and so the movie that will be joining our wheel is never on a never on a tuesday um which he is actually uncredited okay um so so it's got to be a small role it's probably a small role it, it on my list it was directly after vampire's kiss so roughly that age give or take Interesting. um for what that is worth so so there you go uh that's joining the wheel to find out what nicholas cage movie we're going to talk about next time on the show you'll have to watch our next wheel o cage spin you can do that, of course, at comingofcage.com, on all of our social media apps at Coming of Cage, or on our YouTube channel, which is at Dorico Studios, which is our production company there. Ryan, anything else for Vampire's Kiss? Was it everything you hoped for? It was it was a lot, yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't really know what to say about it fair enough fair enough yeah it was it was out there if you haven't seen it it's this is the easiest time to watch it because there is a blu-ray that's readily available to purchase now. uh which was not well two years ago the movie was extremely difficult to find you basically needed a laser disc um for a legitimate copy so you know go watch it go check out vampire's kiss and then play with some gifs and memes but that's it for us this week we are the coming of cage podcast i'm derek that's ryan Am I getting through to you, listener?